This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Well, you may have heard Miles Garrett skipped voluntary OT days, and by doing so, he has bifurcated the fan base between those who really don't care if he skips OTAs and those who vehemently believe he should be at OTAs. But as a Browns fan, should you be concerned if Miles Garrett shows up or not? Find out on today's show. You're listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast, an iconoclastic look at the latest Cleveland Browns news. The What the Elf Was That podcast is part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here's your host, Joel Cade. Welcome to the next edition of What the Elf Was That? And as we said earlier, Miles Garrett didn't show up to OTAs. People are upset. People are frustrated because there is drama. Yes, folks, drama at the OTAs. That kind of sounds like a, a song, Drama at the OTAs. See, you know, I can sing too. You guys didn't even know it. I'm a singer and I didn't know it. Drama at the OTAs. So Miles Garrett decides to skip OTAs, which is fine because it's voluntary, right? It's vol- he doesn't have to go. That's why they're called voluntary OTAs. But people get all bent out of shape and almost lose their minds over the fact that he doesn't show up. So what's the big deal? What are OTAs? Why does anybody care? So I did answer those questions for you. I got into what are OTAs? What are they about? Why are they doing this thing? So you, the informed, what the hell was that, listener, can have all the knowledge you need to make an intelligent decision about Miles Garrett's recent activities. So what are OTAs? OTA stands for Organized Team Activities. And what happens at OTAs? Well, it's kind of like this movie I saw. I think it was called Waiting. And they're in the back by the dumpster having a little team meeting. And the manager gets out and says, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is that little extra. Okay? Dumb as it sounds, that's what it is, that, that little extra. Well, OTAs, particularly voluntary OTAs, are that little extra at the beginning that makes the difference between ordinary and extraordinary that's what otas are basically so what happens at otas some teams run otas like it's a vacation resort you come in it's all fun time and happy games you hang out you learn the playbook you do some walkthroughs we're all having a good time other teams run it like a high intensity training camp atmosphere where better learn your playbook or you'll be behind and you're going to compete against this guy and this guy and somebody's going to get cut for the end of OTAs, that kind of environment. So some teams take this stuff to an extreme. For example, a few years ago, the Ravens lost OTA days because they decided during rookie minicamp, which is different from OTAs, but rookie minicamp where you draft these guys, you bring them into rookie minicamp, you just kind of want to put them through the motions. 
the Ravens put them all in pads and went full go, and therefore the NFL suspended them and took away some of their OTA days. So some teams have fun at the end of OTAs. They go bowling. They go out to a movie. They have a good time. Although some teams have such a high-intensity competitive OTA session that OTAs ends with a team fight. This actually happened in Miami. Big team fight the last day of OTAs. Pretty sure the team fight scenario is pretty much out of the OTA lingo. Nevertheless, uh, J.C. Treader and the crew, in case you're not familiar with J.C. Treader, he was the Brown Center for a while, and he's also the president of the NFL Player Association. He's that guy that organized the complete team walkout of OTAs a few years back. People at the NFL Player Association are saying that OTAs just untire, or unnecessarily work out these players, and if they would skip OTAs, that there's a analytical difference between the level of energy someone has at week 17 or week 18 in the season, which I don't understand how you can't recover from something going on in May by January. I mean, you're going to get three weeks off here. I don't, I don't buy that argument at all. But some people say there's a correlation. So if you guys remember right, J.C. Treader organized this team boycott of OTAs a few years back to the point where Kevin Stefanski even mentioned in a press conference it's good to have a normal offseason where people show up for OTAs. Um, it's no wonder that J.C. Treader currently doesn't have a job in the NFL, and that's on him. So what are teams who do OTAs, what are they looking to accomplish out of OTAs? It's not necessarily a fun time vacation time. It's generally not so intense that you're going to have fights. It's generally somewhere in the middle. So as a coach wanting to do OTAs, here's what's going on. You want to get your players in shape. You don't know what they've been doing during the offseason. You want to get them in-house. You want to assess what kind of physical shape they're in. You also want to evaluate position groups. So over the offseason, you've done a lot of Let's bring in this defensive end, let's bring in that defensive tackle, let's bring in this guy, bring in that guy. This is your first chance to get everyone together, assess who they are, what the group's strengths and weaknesses are, and determine if you need to add bodies to that room or if you're good. Okay. The other thing they're good for is to evaluate players on an individual level. So if you get the player in, and let's say you start doing some basic drills, and you say, okay, I've noticed this person needs to work on this because we're going to be doing X in the scheme, and he needs to have that skill to make uh, to be successful in our scheme. So you can evaluate the players, and then you can come up with a plan for helping them to improve after OTAs. So they work on those skills and come back for training camp, or they go through the first part of OTAs, and then they come back after the, the break. Other things teams like to do is install schemes. They like to install their offensive schemes. They like to install their defensive schemes. I think this is the most important part and why teams still have OTAs. Organized teams activities allows you to install the basic core, if not the entirety of your offense and your defense. And so you learn, as coaches, you learn how your players learn. You learn, okay, this guy needs a visual cue. This guy needs a hands-on hands. This is how you do it. This guy needs to have somebody visually walk them through the steps. This guy, just I can just tell him this guy verbally, and they've got it. Boom. The coaches get to learn how the players learn. 
the coaches also get to establish, and this is another important piece, is the big picture, the culture of the team begins to be established during OTAs. Here's our theme for the year, you know, working hard or hard work or, you know, the more you can do. Whatever theme or multiple, like a slogan you may have, this is where you introduce it to the team. This is where the team starts to get that buy-in. This is where players get to know each other and establish, like, this is what our season's going to be about. That goes on during OTAs. So what are the benefits of OTAs? Why should someone show up to OTAs voluntarily? Well, one, you get to learn the playbook. So let's say you're installing a new offense or if you're installing a new defense, this is your first opportunity to meet your defensive coach. Either you defensive tackle, defensive whatever position you play, this is your chance to meet your defensive coach, particularly for the Browns who now have a new defensive scheme. you got Jim Schwartz in. There's a lot of new defensive coaches. Praise God, raise the roof. And now here's your chance for all these people to meet their individual coaches and to begin to work with them. And like I said, the coaches learn how players learn. The players get to learn the playbook. They get to learn the teaching style of their coaches. And they kind of find this middle ground between what style works for them, works for the coaches, and how we get a communication set up going on. For veterans who actually show up and you actually know the playbook, but in this case, the Browns, the playbook is being installed on defense and on offense. If you're a veteran and you've got these drills down and you know all this stuff, this is a great time for veterans to come in and teach younger players how it works in Cleveland. So Miles Garrett, who's not there, could potentially be there saying to Ogbo Ogbenaya or to Darius Smith or Alex Wright, hey, this is how we practice. This is how we get things done. I, he could watch them, try to help them from a player's perspective on how to do their techniques better, what, what technique may work better for their body shape and how they work. Because what works for Miles Garrett isn't going to work for Alex Wright. And what works for Alex Wright isn't going to work for Miles Garrett. But this is the time where the mad scientist lab comes out and you get to work on all the different kinds of techniques that you're doing while you have the time to do that. Because once practice starts, training camp starts, you're going to be in a very regimented, very strict environment where some of those things may not have time to be worked on. Another thing that goes on at QBs get to get with their wide receivers, start establishing timing, um, rapport, a kind of a connection with them. The offense and defense develop chemistry as they learn to work as a unit. Uh, that is something that develops throughout the year to go on. So is Miles Garrett hurting himself or the team by not being OTAs? Once we've known what OTAs are about, it's about establishing culture. It's about establishing a playbook. It's about getting to know your teammates, starting to work with your teammates. To do that little extra work at the beginning of the season that to set yourself up for success. Is this a problem for Miles Garrett not to be there? Well, it depends on how you look at this. Players will look at this and say, well, I don't need all that extra work. I'm good. I don't need to be there. And then you don't have to show up. And that's fine because it's, it's voluntary. You don't have to show up. So what Garrett is missing and Joel Batonio and um, Batonio and David Njoku, what they're missing is the fact that they get to limitless out on their coaches, the playbooks, getting to know everybody else in the process. Yes, it's voluntary, but this is also the place where you can put in that 
little extra work that separates an ordinary player from an extraordinary player. Now, Garrett in particular, I mean, this guy, he likes to stand up there. He likes to question coaches publicly. But to do that, you have to put in the time. If you want to come out and you want to say, Coach X is doing this and Coach Y is doing that, then you need to be that guy who's gone the extra mile every single time, who's done every extra thing you can possibly do. You need to put that little extra in to make it extraordinary. So Miles Garrett not being there hurts his credibility, in my opinion. Is it going to hurt his play? Probably not. Is it going to hurt him? He's going to be behind when mandatory camp shows up and he doesn't know the playbook. That'll hurt him, but he's gambling that he's a good enough player that somebody isn't going to bench him. I don't know how long he's going to gamble on that in his career, but that's what he's going to do. But, yes, it hurts Miles Garrett. I think it takes some opportunities away from players like Alex Wright or Isaiah Thomas who might benefit from some knowledge from Miles Garrett, but that's what leaders do. They show up and they help their teammates. Miles Garrett's not showing up and he's not helping his teammates. Miles Garrett is worried about Miles Garrett and he's willing to allow the rest of it to go on. But it's voluntary. So who cares? If he doesn't want to volunteer, he doesn't want to show up, doesn't want to do that little extra, that's on Garrett. But his credibility as a leader is going to suffer for it. It is. But you know who did show up, by the way, to OTAs? Who did show up? the quarterbacks in particular Deshaun Watson showed up and Dorian Thompson Robinson showed up in fact it was pretty interesting that Dorian Thompson Robinson got into one of those post uh, post practice interviews and somebody was asking how he's picking up the offense so oh, I'm doing pretty good I'm picking up the offense asked me if it was different from college how much harder it is typical kind of this is the, the thing we ask rookie questions and he says, well, it's kind of similar to what we ran at UCLA, meaning the Chip Kelly offense, which the NFL got to see back in 2013, I believe, maybe 2012, maybe 20, I'm not sure the exact dates, when Chip Kelly was coaching the Philadelphia Eagles. So I do what I do. I did what I did. I did some reading and some research. And I asked myself, can Deshaun Watson run this offense? If Deshaun Watson is going to be running this Chip Kelly offense, does he have what it takes to run the offense? So I decided to go out and buy myself a book. I bought myself a book called Speed Kills by Alex Kirby, breaking down the Chip Kelly offense. So I'm going to go over what this book says real quick. And I would encourage all of you to go pick yourself up a copy. If you don't know about this, what the Chip Kelly offense is, go pick it up, go read it. It'll give you some insight into what the Browns will be doing next year. So to break this down pretty simply, the inside, the Chip Kelly offense isn't necessarily an offense per se, but it's more of a philosophical offense. It's more about we're going to run at a fast pace. We're going to do these kinds of strategies, not necessarily the plays. <coughs> plays are plays. What separates a playbook is how the coach puts their nuance on it. And Chip Kelly always believed in, and still does if you go watch UCLA football, believed in options. Every play should have options. And the faster at a higher, quicker pace you crank out plays, the more defenses will be susceptible to plays with different options. So to, to bring this down quickly, the Chip Kelly style offense is based on a base play. 
the inside zone is the primary base play. Uh, if you don't know what an inside zone is, we can talk about it another time. Can't do it today. The Browns have typically run an outside zone based offense where the one play is the outside zone and every play after it kind of looks like an outside zone, but it has different wrinkles and nuances off of it. So if you think of the Browns offense doing an outside zone, then maybe a quarterback rollout or a throwback screen, something like that to keep the defense honest. Now the Browns will be doing that if they run the Chip Kelly offense um, based on the inside zone. So then you have the inside zone play, usually in shotgun. But every particular play will have multiple options on top of it. So let's say they get up to the line of scrimmage. Deshaun Watson counts the numbers and says, yes, let's run this, this inside zone. Then the Browns line up and they run the inside zone. Watson could also line up on the line of scrimmage and say, well, you know, there's more defenders in the box than we have people. Maybe I should just audible to a pass. That's how a typical NFL offense works. Now, one of the things the Browns might be doing with Chip Kelly is to say, let's option a player. Let's look at one player and let's see what they do. And what they do will determine what we do. Normally, on an outside zone base like the Browns have been doing, that player is the backside defensive end. If that backside defensive end crashes down, tackles Nick Chubb in the background, the backfield, then we need to run an option around him, force him to stay home and not tackle Nick Chubb. That's the option play. Chip Kelly says we don't have to just option the defensive end. We can option a linebacker. We can option a safety. We can option a cornerback. We can option a defensive tackle. So that every play has an option. So if that, if Watson's back in the, in the shotgun, snaps the ball, sticks the ball out, Chubb's going to come across where the situation where the ball is in Nick Chubb's possession, but Watson can still pull it out, that's called a mesh. So while Watson is in the mesh, he can observe what the key defender is doing. If the defender does something that says, hey, it's good to run a play, then they run, run the running ball, then they run the ball. If that defender does something that says, hey, it's better to pass, then Watson will keep the ball and throw the pass. So there's a run-pass option element to pretty much every play. Now, it's not just a typical one run-pass option. There are multiple run-pass options on every single play. So you may have the inside zone being run, but you may have a bubble screen on the back side, and you may have a slant on the front side. So it depends on which person you're watching. You may line up, and there's so many people in the box, it just makes more sense that you've got numbers on the outside. Throw the bubble screen, there's the play. Or you may run the football, and they have the play right there because that's what gives you the numbers. Or you can option a linebacker, and if the linebacker crashes in to potentially tackle the ball carrier, you throw it over his head to the, to the uh, slant pattern. So there's multiple options you can run on every single play and run that quickly. That's what it looks like to be in a Chip Kelly-style offense. So the question is, can Deshaun Watson run that offense? And that's the real trick. But if you look back at some of his tape from Clemson, that's a lot of the kind of the stuff they did at Clemson, although there's very much one option. This is also a lot of the stuff that was done in Houston when Watson was in Houston, where you would have mainly an option, an option. Snap the ball, see what's going on, either hand it off or throw it to a particular receiver based on where the numbers are on the defense 
versus the offense and what options are available. So not only can Deshaun Watson execute a Chip style, Chip Kelly option style offense, but he has also thrived in this kind of offense when he was a consensus top five quarterback in the league at Houston. So it kind of makes you happy that Deshaun Watson decided to show up to OTAs. Guys, it's time for us to take a quick break, but I got some exciting news after the break. Some really exciting news on how you can get two tickets to the Ravens game on week four from right here on the Fanatical Elves Network. So hang on after the break, and we will discuss how you can get tickets just by listening to our show. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. So, yes, I mentioned that you could buy or you could win tickets to the Ravens home game. The Browns-Ravens in Cleveland, you can win those by answering trivia questions here on the show. So, as you know, the Fanatical Elves Sports Network has been starting off our podcasts. And we've been working really hard to establish our network. You've got... Tuesdays, we have the Johnny Cleveland podcast with John Suchan. On Wednesdays, it's What the Elf Was That? Right here with, with me, the left guard. Thursdays, we have Football, Philosophy, and Rocket Science, where Elliot breaks down all the numbers and games, and I'm kind of more the football person. Or I, deal, I bring the philosophy, he brings the rocket science, and we talk about football. Thursday night, we have the Fanatical Elves show with multiple uh, contributors here from the Fanatical Elves Network. Friday, we got Browns Blitz with Rob and with Rod, excuse me. <clears throat> and what's happening here is that every show will have a trivia question. If you can answer the trivia question and then email the answer to elvesnetwork at gmail.com, E L F Z network, N E T W O R K, at gmail.com, email the correct answer. That gets your name in for a drawing for those tickets. The more podcasts you listen to, the more trivia questions you can answer, the more entries you get. This week, you have an opportunity for five entries. Johnny Cleveland Podcast, What the Elf Was That? Football Philosophy and Rocket Science, Fanatical Elves, Browns Blitz. Five podcasts, five chances to win tickets. You can get out there, email the answer. Each show has a different question. So the question I have today is not the same question that would be on Football Philosophy and Rocket Science. So this is your one chance on this podcast to get a unique entry for those tickets. So the question for this this podcast is, and you should see it right now on the ticker if you're watching this on YouTube, who ran for the first Cleveland Browns touchdown in their first win against the Ravens in 2001? Again, question, who ran for the first Cleveland Browns touchdown 
in their first win against the Ravens in 2001? You can email the answer to elvesnetwork, E-L-F-Z network at gmail.com. Good luck. Pay attention. Get Listen to these podcasts and give yourself a chance to win. Um, I'm hoping to get to that game. So if you win, maybe you can uh, email this show and we'll hook up and I'll say hi to you there at the game. Speaking of disasters, I'm not saying the game's a disaster. I'm saying OTAs have been a disaster. Speaking of disasters, the next question I wanted to bring up is, can the Browns avoid a DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins disaster? Can they avoid the DeAndre Hopkins disaster? Now, you may have seen that DeAndre Hopkins is a free agent. And that should the Browns go out and sign DeAndre Hopkins? I pointed out they're now possibly running a Chip Kelly-style offense. It might be good to have DeAndre Hopkins around, right? Because he's fast. He can catch the ball. He's played with Deshaun Watson. They can be on the same page and make a, a killing in Cleveland, right? But I'm asking yourself, I'm asking you guys, would this not potentially be a disaster? What makes us think that DeAndre Hopkins can be the same receiver in Cleveland that he was in Houston? And I'm telling you he's not. So let me just put some stuff out there for you. DeAndre Hopkins is 31 years old, which is kind of old for a wide receiver. He's not played in more than 10 games since 2020. He's not gone over 800 yards receiving since 2020. And in 2020, he had a suspension for performance-enhancing drugs. claiming He claimed it was Ostrarine. Ostrarine, I can't even say it. Which he claims is a contaminant, which is not actually found in the drugs, but is something that is contained and you don't actually ingest it. I don't understand what he's talking about. I looked this stuff up on WebMD because I'm a nerd, and it says Ostrarine does something to performance enhance. It's basically a steroid. Uh, by the way, Deshaun, or excuse me, DeAndre Hopkins did not appeal the six-game suspension, uh, probably because he knows he's not going to win, but he did not appeal it and served a six-game suspension. Also, DeAndre Hopkins came out and made a list of people he wanted to play for and quarterbacks he wanted to play with. By the way, one of the quarterbacks he wanted to play with was Lamar Jackson. He thought that would be good. Although saying, people are really down on Lamar Jackson, but I want to go play with him anyway, which is you know a weird statement to make anyway. He didn't even list Deshaun Watson as someone he wanted to play with. So I don't know. All I can say is the last big name, no production receiver to hit the market got $15 million guaranteed. So the Ravens go out there and pay OBJ $15 million, and OBJ probably has less stats, less production than DeAndre Hopkins has. Which goes to show that there are stupid people everywhere. Even in the NFL, there are idiots. But why not? Let's sign them, right? Do the Browns need to really be next in line of how stupid can you be NFL.com? Like the NFL's version of how stupid can you be is currently being won by the Ravens. Do we need to go out there and say, hold my beer 
and let me one up this by signing DeAndre Hopkins for 15 million plus guaranteed. No, people. No, we don't. Let the Ravens hold that record. Let them be the ones that have paid the old no production receiver a stupid amount of money, reflecting just their intelligence level to go with it. So the OTAs have given us <clears throat> Miles Garrett not showing up. It's given us some Chip Kelly offense. It's given us, <clears throat> you know, DeAndre Hopkins rumors. So this has been a pretty good week in Brown's world, right? Good stuff to talk about. But wait, there's more. We can't have a <clears throat> what the hell was that podcast without the famous slash infamous, which means it's better than famous, it's infamous, section called Ravens Hate. So we're going to do our Ravens Hate segment. After talking about DeAndre Hopkins and how we think or how I think DeAndre Hopkins would be a disaster, I jump onto The Athletic, my favorite website of all time, because they say some of the dumbest stuff. And I saw an article where the Ravens beat writer thinks that the Ravens should absolutely sign DeAndre Hopkins. So I'm going to read for you this paragraph. And I don't know how I find these paragraphs, but they don't make any sense to me. But let's do it. Hopkins, he says, I think this is, uh, I'm not sure who the author is. Uh, has 853 catches for 11,298 yards and 71 touchdowns in 10 NFL seasons. He's a five-time All-Pro and been selected to five Pro Bowl teams. He turns 31 next week and has plenty of mileage on his legs. So there, there's the reality coming back. But he still has one of the best pair of hands in the sport. Sure, he's old and he's slow. But he can catch the ball, therefore we should go get him. In nine games for the Arizona Cardinals last season, Hopkins had 64 catches for 717 yards and three touchdowns. And here comes my favorite sentence. The Ravens didn't have a wide receiver get anywhere near close to those numbers after a full season in 2022. So DeAndre Hopkins should be signed by Baltimore because... He can do more in nine games, ten games, than any White Ravens wide receiver can do in seventeen. That sounds like great logic. And besides, they've already they've already gave OBJ fifteen million. So why don't they give this guy fifteen million, right? So here's my quick hits on DeAndre Hopkins and, and the Ravens. One, Hopkins wants paid. He's made that clear. Not sure if the Ravens can afford two old, broken down receivers with no production to be guaranteed at fifteen million. But if you can do it, Ravens, go for it. Hopkins was already unproductive in an air raid system with a questionable QB in Arizona. So what makes anyone believe that in Baltimore, he can be productive in Baltimore's air raid system with a questionable QB? But hey, this whole DeAndre Hopkins Baltimore thing reminds me of that song they sang in Beauty and the Beast. You know, Disney's Beauty and the Beast. So my response in quasi-singing form is, be our guest. Be our guest. Put our defensive backs to the test. Go on, Baltimore. Just prove us just how stupid you are 
and go out and sign this guy for $15 million too. Spend the money. Sign Hopkins. I'm telling you, Hopkins is going to sign with one team and one team only, and that's the same team that OBJ signed with. Now, I'm not talking about the Ravens. I'm talking about the team that gives him the most money. That's who he's signing for. It don't matter if that person can play quarterback. They're going to let some dude out there. They're going to have some third string with no arm. DeAndre Hopkins is signing with that team because he's out to get a payday. And that's what he's about, and that's what he's going to get. Thank you for listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow host Joel Cade on Twitter at The Left Guard. Remember, folks, the giveaway tickets to see the Browns and Ravens in Cleveland. Answer the question, the trivia question, who ran for the first Cleveland Browns touchdown in their first win against the Ravens in 2001? Email that answer to elvesnetwork, E-L-F-Z, network at gmail.com. Make sure to listen to the Johnny Cleveland podcast to get an entry. Listen to What the Elf Was That for an entry. Football Philosophy and Rocket Science for an entry. The Fanatical Elf Show for an entry. Browns Blitz for an entry. You could have 10 entries before this thing is up. Have a great week, everybody.